This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. In today's show, we talk about all things Republican, the GOP presidential primary debate, Rick Santorum, a day on the trail with Carly Fiorina, and just a bit of Hillary Clinton to top things off. My name's Clay Wirestone. I'm a writer and editor here at The Monitor, and I am joined today, as I am virtually every podcast day, by Monitor Politics editor John Van Fleet. Hi, John. Hi, Clay. Happy to be here. And it's good to have you here. And also Monitor reporter Megan Doyle. Hey, Hi, Clay. Megan. Hello. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Well, it won't be my birthday by the time most people hear this, so happy day after my birthday. Still counts. Yeah, I suppose. So um, there was decoration on your keyboard today. That's right, there was. Well, do you know who the? Yeah, uh, it was from Sarah Kinney. Really? Sarah Kinney, one of our, one of our day editors, who put together a, a nice little banner. Uh-huh. But that that sounds bigger than it was. It was a keyboard size banner. It was. It was a happy birthday. It was, keyboard it, 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 size banner. It will be forever treasured. Have you had uh, any birthday cake yet? Not, what? not, not yet. Okay. Possibly, possibly something later. We'll see. Birthday breakfast, birthday lunch. We, we, you know, well, I think the less we talk about my birthday in this podcast, the better off the podcast it's a, it's a will be. Podcast. No, it's not. It is it a really birthday is, podcast. I'm really, it's not. All, all I can say is, I share November twelfth is also shared as a birthday by Neil Young and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and today is also Neil Young's seventieth birthday. Mm. So keep on rocking in the free just world. Just like right? me, I'm also seventy. So, um, but moving on to the politics part of the Political Monitor podcast. The birthday podcast. Yeah. Like you said, keep on rocking in the free world. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Megan, you were out at a political event this very day. I was. With a Republican presidential candidate, Rick Santorum. Yes, indeed. We have not seen a lot of Rick Santorum in New Hampshire. No. So tell us what he was doing here. Well, he's focused most of his time in Iowa, but only made a handful of uh, stops here in New Hampshire. He was this morning at Politics and Eggs. Um, for a little contrast, two weeks ago, Hillary Clinton drew about 400 people, then the largest crowd Politics and Eggs had ever seen. And yesterday, or Wednesday, um, Donald Trump drew 600 people or so to Politics and Eggs. And Rick Santorum drew a modest crowd of about 100 RSVP guests. I see. And what? so what was, what was he talking about? Well, he focused his comments today on two main subjects. One was the need to grow jobs in manufacturing, um, that, that those, those jobs were the, the ones that we should be focusing on, and that we should encourage young people to participate in vocational programs and perhaps go into the workforce before going to college rather than saddling themselves with um, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in student debt. Um, but his other point was that he was really alarmed by what he called the breakdown of the nuclear family uh, in America. In particular, he talked about 
the rate of um, children born out of wedlock and the number of um, uh, single parents. Mm -hmm. And he, he felt very concerned about that. Um, do we have any indication of how often uh, Santorum has actually been here? The NECN candidate tracker put him at about 16 stops, but that could be multiple stops on one trip. By my count, he's been to New Hampshire four times. I see. Three or four. I see. Um, John, yes. any, any thoughts about the Santorum campaign here well, in New Hampshire? Well, it was interesting. When we got the press release that Rick Santorum was coming, it was, it, we almost had to do a double take, like, because he had been here so infrequently, we were like, wow, this is really a thing. So Rick Santorum's in it to win it, I guess. That's what he said today. Well, and it was interesting, too, like, as far back as, as April, when they had the big uh, Republican confab down in Nashua that I attended, Santorum was one of the only, you know, maybe only two candidates who didn't show up. For, the, for that event uh, either. So he's he's definitely not been focusing on uh, the Granite State, as it were. But but he will be on the ballot. He yep. also stopped in the Secretary of State's office and filed his paperwork with Bill Gardner. Mm -hmm. And Bill Gardner uh, was not subject to any weapon searches before Rick Santorum filed. He yeah. was able to walk right into his office like he does every day, except for Monday. Right, which was the day, since we'll, since you bring it up, we'll deal with it now, which Monday was the day that Hillary Clinton showed up uh, to the Secretary of State's office to register for the primary ballot and also gave a speech out on the in front of the State House. Um, it was nearly a total lockdown, basically, of the, of the State House and its grounds by the Secret Service. And um, there was a picture, I believe, taken of the Secret Service um, frisking was it wasn't a full frisk. It was uh, a metal detector wand, as the TSA uses at the airports. And the photo was taken by Josh McKelvin from WMUR. So outside of the, uh, the, the Secret Service evacuated everyone from the Secretary of State's office, including Bill Gardner himself, and they searched it for whatever, explosives or weapons, and... They found nothing. And then they also had to search people before they went back in to make sure that it was a safe zone. So it's interesting. You know, the, the state house is a public building. You know, famously, our legislators are allowed to carry weapons in our state house. And this was a, a big, as you said, it was almost lockdown. So the state house kind of underwent a, a change in order for, the, for Hillary Clinton to walk in and file her paperwork. And uh, I can speak personally from this as, as an observer. I went down just to the area around the State House on Monday with my son and my sister, and we were just kind of curious to, to see the event. And it was just even getting to the lawn of the State House was, was an ordeal. I mean, there was a big crowd, and I would say it took them at least an hour and a half to screen everyone to get them, you know, kind of onto the lawn. And uh, then there were you know, Secret Service agents like literally patrolling the sidewalks outside of that perimeter, telling people to keep moving along uh, rather than, you know, just staying and, and watching from, from that public ground, which I, I found a little curious. Um, but there was, a, there was a lot of, uh, there was definitely some pushback on that kind of Secret Service uh, protection, too. I know there were some Republican lawmakers who were posting some very skeptical Facebook messages about the level of security. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, it, it seems a little counterproductive to me, frankly. 
I mean, because I, I understand, obviously, that someone like Hillary Clinton is going to require a certain level of security and protection. She's incredibly high profile. She's a former first lady, former senator, former secretary of state. Uh, that being said, um, you know, campaigns are about reaching people. And if you're making it very hard for the people to, to come and see you, that, that seems like it could, could do some harm. It could also uh, convey a different message that if you're trying to appear presidential and you have to have a Secret Service sweep of the area in order to deliver remarks, then that's, that is awfully presidential of you, isn't it? So the, the Secret Service could be employed in a different way. It's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, you were mentioning the Republican lawmakers that were criticizing her. One not lawmaker, Jennifer Horn, the, the chair chairwoman of the uh, Republican State Republican Party, uh, was all over this thing, and so she was sending out statements about what a shame that Bill Gardner was searched and all that stuff. And she asked Clinton to apologize. They were making a lot of political hay about that photo that was taken. And she asked the Clinton campaign to apologize, and they did not. <laughs> um, well, and I'm sure that they, they feel at a certain level, I mean, if they're providing security, if they're making sure their candidate is safe, that they probably don't have anything to apologize for. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as I said, it is, as, as, as we've, we've talked about, there, there are definitely messages, intentional and not, that are, are sent in a, in a situation like that. Um, but Megan, getting back to, getting back to you, um, you've also been reporting on another Republican uh, candidate, and you've got a big package uh, of a story and photos that's coming up on Sunday. So tell us about that. I spent last Friday, so November 6th, with Carly Fiorina in New Hampshire. She, was, she came last week to file um, her own paperwork to be on the ballot in New Hampshire and um, had a, a three-day trip through the state. So I saw um, a few events with her as well as some, t some TV tapings and um, had a, a sit-down interview with her as well. And kind of what, what's, you know, Carly Fiorina had uh, kind of, you know, gained a lot of notice, you know, a month or so ago with some very high-profile debate appearances. There was a lot of chatter about her. That's, that's kind of died away a little bit, uh, I, I would say, in the last couple of weeks. What's, what's her approach? What's she, what's, what's she thinking about, about New Hampshire right now? Carly Fiorina has positioned herself in, in two unique places. She's selling herself as, um, you know, a political outsider, as somebody who made her career in business and because of that has the credentials to be the president of the United States. She's also positioned herself as uniquely able to take on Hillary Clinton um, because she has both a business background and she's done... Um, you know, some international work. She's, she's been a civilian um, advisor for the federal government. Um, so she's, she's putting herself in, as, as well as the fact that she's the only other female candidate. Um, and she's approaching that a little differently than Hillary is. Um, so she's a, a pretty interesting person to follow around, in, in part because she really does have that very corporate persona. She's all business all the time. And um, you, you get the sense throughout the day that um, she's still using her, her master's degree in marketing as she kind of structures how she campaigns. That's interesting, too, because 
Um, definitely on the, the Republican side, we've talked about it in past podcasts before, there's a real division between the outsider candidates, people like Trump, Ben Carson, Carly Fiorina, the insider candidates, people that have served in government before, Jeb Bush, um, you know, John Kasich, uh, Marco Rubio to an extent. But what's interesting to me is that of those outsider candidates, you know, even though Donald Trump has talked a great deal about his, his business expertise and the like, you know, it's really Carly Fiorina that has really seized on the I was a business person mantra or, or, or you know, approach to her campaign. I mean, it really seems to inform what she does even more than someone like Donald Trump, who, who's kind of a pre-existing celebrity outside of his business interests. Mm-hmm. I think Trump also has his own celebrity persona in a way that Carly didn't, that her her entire resume is based in business. Um, so that that gives her those kind of corporate chops to, to make her case, whether people like her tenure at HP or not. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think one of the things I've also heard from voters is that in comparing her to those other outsider candidates, someone made the comment to me that they really like that there are so many non-politicians in the race this time around, but Trump is a little too loudmouth for them. They, you know, this this man wasn't wasn't a big fan of his particular style, and he felt that Ben Carson was a little too low key, um, a little too quiet in particular on the. So Carly stage. Fiorina is just so right. She seemed. He said he's attracted to her as a candidate that seems in the middle of those two. Well, that's really interesting. I don't think I'd ever even quite quite thought of it that way, but. Because we've certainly also talked about Ben Carson being attractive to, to many voters, essentially because he is not Donald Trump. Like, he is he is so soft-spoken. But the idea of Carly Fiorina being, being someone kind of in, in the middle there is, is, is very interesting. Um, and and speaking of, of all of these Republican candidates, they all met on Tuesday, Tuesday night for a Fox Business Channel moderated debate. Um, it's... Kind of, I guess it was what the fourth de- fourth Republican presidential primary debate. Uh, it comes pretty quickly on the heels of the CNBC debate, which was kind of widely panned, certainly by the candidates, um, and it didn't seem to didn't seem to quite quite hit the, in in the same way. This this Fox business one, I, I don't I don't think that it was um, you know there didn't seem to be any huge huge stories coming out of it, particularly John. Um. I, I was struck by, and my first reaction watching it was the candidates were given what seemed like a real long period of time to kind of explain themselves and explain their position. So they were able to get into more detail. And the, the line of questioning was, you know, they were given a lot of leeway to answer the question. The, the, the questions were were pretty specific and policy-driven, business-driven. So it was a stark contrast to the CNBC debate. Um, interestingly for me, uh, so I've got school-aged children, a, a high school freshman and two middle schoolers, and so there was no school on Wednesday. So I allowed them to stay up and watch the Republican debate of what a treat it was for them. So lucky. So they... Uh, <laughs> Their reactions were interesting to me, and uh, you know, because this, I was, I was kind of using them as my my own little you're, focus. You're group. Guinea pigs, yeah, 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 yeah. They liked Rand Paul. They're like, oh, he sounds really smart, you know. And and that was one reaction. And the other one was, uh, everything they say sounds like want 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 to me. <laughs> 
It's 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 all of the adults. Uh, it's all of the uh, all of the candidates being like the adults in the Peanuts movie, mm-hmm. or the Peanuts cartoons. <laughs> Just the 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 trombone playing. Um, so Kurt's not going to vote for Donald Trump anytime soon. Uh, I don't know if uh, where I didn't actually ask who would you know I was. I, I didn't say who, you know, if you could vote, who would you pick? I didn't ask who they thought won or anything like that. I was just kind of tuned into their reactions and, and what they were saying just kind of off the cuff. But they were all they were all interested and they talked about it. We talked about it the following day and they, they, they had a lot of questions about health care and the Affordable Care Act, which they don't call the Affordable Care Act. They call it Obamacare. Um, why is this? Why is 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 a country really broken? You know, that's that was their big takeaway. That like everything's broken, and uh, so we had some good conversations about it. It's interesting. So I don't think you would come if that was your first impression. I don't know that you would come away with a very positive sense of the political field. Mm-hmm. It's a good Bob Dylan song from about 1989. Everything is broken. I, I urge you to. To, to find it anyway search it out um, the, uh, the the other thing that was interesting about the debate was there was a lot of chatter about uh, this time about who was included because there were a couple of folks who were kind of sent down to the minor leagues as it were or people who were omitted entirely so Chris Christie who'd previously been on the main stage for the debates went down to the quote-unquote undercard debate um, and then I believe Lindsey Graham wasn't uh, wasn't invited at all to to the undercard debate um, was there anyone else who was who was uh, pushed down off the off the stage? I guess Huckabee, right? Yes. Yeah, and Huckabee also also had to go there, um, and so there was the the whole question about how these debates, you know, it's it's kind of roiled the Republicans for the entire time that they've been having the debates, but the, the use of these national polls to determine who's going to be on the main stage, when the fact is the candidates are not running national campaigns. You know, they're running campaigns in Iowa, they're running campaigns in New Hampshire, maybe to an extent South Carolina. You know, so the, the question is, you know, why should someone in, in California have a say who appears on a debate that's going to mainly be affecting voters in New Hampshire mm-hmm. or Iowa? Also, Ted Cruz could not think of five departments that he would want to eliminate from the government. IRS, IRS, IRS? No, no, he, he said, I believe he said the Department of Commerce twice. Mm-hmm. As well as as well as the IRS and um, of course Department of Education probably I don't know I'm not going to get caught in that trap myself <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do it um, I don't know John you were you were talking about uh, focus groups and and how John Kasich didn't come off very well well this is this was before we started uh, the the taping of this podcast but yeah sure. I was reading about you know John Kasich the Ohio governor has really been um, becoming a lot more aggressive in his debate appearances. He's really criticizing uh, candidates like Donald Trump. He really went after Trump on the debate for his immigration proposal, saying, you know, this is just not realistic. There's no way that this is, is going to happen. And it seems like, even though definitely some media commentators were, um, you know, noted Kasich's performance, it went across very poorly with Republican voters, potential Republican primary Voters. He took on Ted Cruz as well over bailouts of the big banks, you know, essentially trying to say, so you would let people whose life savings, you would you would let the bank fail, you would let the people lose their life savings 
by not bailing out the big banks and Cruz didn't really answer the you know the challenge I guess but then successfully kind of turned it around on on Kasich and to which point he was trying I thought trying to say I would protect the people the regular people who are standing to lose their life savings and I would try and separate them from the people who are profiting the the people who run the big banks mm-hmm. and then the crowd booed him and I was like wow geez you know it seemed like he was making a reasonable point but uh, it didn't it definitely did not go over well with the crowd and you know I mean it's it's interesting he's he's this pragmatist he's trying to say look there are ways to get things done you kind of kind of reach across the aisle a little bit and and folks just don't want to hear that right now no, no. It's, that's not that's not playing no uh, real well I mean the other the other thing is is that I mean if if Debates have shown anything about the Republican side. It's that you know Ted Cruz is a very skillful public speaker, and you do not want to tangle with him in a debate situation because you know even if it's a somewhat you know reasonable point or point that you might you know at least understand where the candidate's coming from, as you were saying with with John Kasich, you know Cruz is able to is able to pretty easily you know turn the tables you know go for go for someone's weak spot. It's one of the reasons why a lot of the coverage I've seen of the debate, post post debate, you know, really pointed to to Rubio and Cruz as the winners, as the people that had kind of helped themselves the most. Um, especially with with Rubio continuing to kind of cement his his place as kind of the establishment favorite, I think. Um, and Rand Paul, however, um, went after Rubio and at at some length. Really, and so that was another interesting part about the debate is that the I, I found that the candidates were able to kind of go after each other, or rather speak directly to each other rather than speaking through a moderator. And so that's when Rand Paul was trying to challenge Rubio whether he's a, he's an actual true conservative, saying if if your answer is to throw a trillion dollars at this or a trillion dollars at that sounds a lot like a Democrat rather than a conservative. More money doesn't necessarily mean a solution. And, uh, you know, Rubio, Rubio's like, well, look, you know, we need, we need a strong, we need a strong military. So we spend a trillion dollars. That's going to help our economy at home. That's going to keep us safe. You can't, you can't grow as a country if, you know, you're under attack all the time. So those points played well with the crowd as well. Well, and Rubio's really pushing, you know, I think probably one of the most unifying positions that a Republican candidate for president could have is strengthen national security. Because I think that's one of the criticisms of the Obama administration that probably has the greatest legs of any of them, is the notion that, they, that, that the Obama administration has not projected enough strength on the world stage. And certainly you look at... at um, you know, the issues that have arisen in the Syrian civil war between Russia and Ukraine, you know, all of these, these hotspots in the world, they definitely have not improved over Obama's tenure. So it's, it's, it's a really open place, a really, you know, good place to pitch your tent if you're a Republican candidate to say, you know, strong national defense, project strength, you know, not weakness. And, you know, it's interesting because that's obviously not, not the platform of someone like Rand Paul. But that's that's definitely where Rubio's Rubio's going, mm-hmm. and all of all of the ads I've seen from him online, on on TV have all all been national security related as well. 
It's also helpful because it means he doesn't have to talk about immigration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm curious to see if this debate moves the polls at all, because I I will admit that I didn't watch it, but uh, read a lot of the commentary on it. It seemed boring. Mm-hmm. I was glad I didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in part because she is my beat, I'm curious about where Carla Fiorina goes. Um, she's she's one of the candidates that I cover, um, and I think she is a real interesting player in this field, that she has a lot of appeal to conservative women, that as you were talking about foreign policy, she takes a more hawkish, hawkish position than many of the candidates in the field, and I'm curious to see if if that continues to carry her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a Democratic debate coming up pretty soon too, right? The the second of the Democratic presidential debates? Yes, which brings up uh, another point that I meant to make. Please. I, you're waiting with bated breath. I am. Um, Ella Nielsen did a reporter uh, story leading up to the debate. And we were kind of... The Republican debate. Yes, and and so earlier this week, so on in Tuesday's paper, so Monday she's doing the reporting for this, and the idea behind this was there's been a lot of criticism on the Democratic side that they're not having enough debates, that there should be more debates on the Democratic side, like the Republican side, you know? More discussion, more debate is better, is the thinking there. So here we are entering the fourth Republican debate. So we kind of tried to flip the question around in that, well, maybe the Democrats were right. Is there debate fatigue on the part of people? You know, here we are, pretty much the same group of candidates. A few people get kicked off the stage, but generally it's the same players, same issues. Not much has changed. So surely prospective voters are entering the interest bell curve. So we're going down here. You know, people are tuning out. They're not paying attention. If you recall, the first debate was this probably the most watched debate ever. And so we're, we're trying to nail down. We have the hunch that there is debate disinterest. And so who did we talk to? We talked to a bunch of political junkies who all said, no, absolutely not. We are so stoked about the debate. And so I think we reached out to the wrong crowd on that story because we didn't quite, we didn't quite get the debate bell curve like we had we had drawn it out on the, uh, on the chalkboard, so to speak. But uh, well, I, do think I would the... predict that mm-hmm. the next debate will be one where we start to see viewers slip off because there were no fireworks in this last one. Nothing that, that you know... The CNBC debate was widely criticized as being poorly moderated, and you know, there was a lot of fire and, and arguing. Um, so I feel like that probably drove a little bit of interest into this debate. But I wonder if, as we get into the holiday season, as you know, people be, start to feel like they know the candidates, they don't want to see the same people argue with each other, that when we get into the fifth and sixth and seventh debates, that... Eight. That it, <laughs> that it starts to fall off. I mean, but there's also a difference. There's just a difference in interest between the parties too. I mean, I've seen the polling on this that shows that Republicans are very interested and very engaged and very excited about the the primary season this year, and Democrats, eh, maybe not so much. Um, I mean, obviously there are some very fervent Bernie Sanders supporters out there, but 
But you know, overall, just the levels of interest are not the same between the parties. But yes, it also doesn't help that the Democrats are, are scheduling their debates for such auspicious days as this upcoming Saturday. And I guess it's running opposite like a football game or something. I, I mean, it's, they're all, I mean, they're all on odd kind of off, off season or off peak days. And New Hampshire's big Democratic debate, December 22nd. Perfect time that everyone's going to want to work late, go watch a Democratic debate. Three days before Christmas, you won't. You'll have all your shopping done by then, right? I, I will. I will be playing the debate uh, through some earbuds as I am shopping, because mm-hmm. nothing makes the shopping experience better than hearing Martin O'Malley. Some <laughs> holiday cheer for you, right there. <laughs> exactly. You know, actually, Martin O'Malley had a big write-up in uh, one of the most recent issues of Rolling Stone. The question was, is he actually the future of the Democratic Party? Mm. Um, well. See if that's a, a stretch or not, but you know, there's only three Democrats to write about at this point. So, well, that's you. You talked about you know what's interesting in the Republican field now. I think Martin O'Malley will be interesting in the Democratic field going forward because we've seen candidates fall away, and he shows no signs of doing so, even though his poll numbers are quite low. And his campaign is fond of pointing out that Bill Clinton in '92 polled very poorly at this time before the debate or before the uh, primary. So yeah. I'm curious to see if they if they see any rise if if that pans out for him in the way that his campaign would like it to or if people continue to feel not interested in him. I mean I think the 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 question about Martin O'Malley is, you know, if he can afford it, like literally if his campaign can continue to operate for the next few months, he really has nothing to lose. I mean, he's not he's not a sitting governor anymore. He's not a sitting senator. You know, these are the kinds of things that, um, you know, Rand Paul has faced some calls for, you know, to go back to defend his, his uh, Senate seat uh, in Kentucky. Um, you know, Marco Rubio has faced criticism for missing votes in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Chris Christie's faced an editorial in the New York Times calling for him to go back and govern New Jersey. So, you know, that's all playing out on the Republican side. You know, O'Malley, I mean, this is what O'Malley is doing now. Um, so if he can afford to stay in it, uh, he has very little to lose. And he's, you know, a good, you know, 20 years younger, basically, than, than the average age of his, his competitors. So he clearly has a career ahead of him if he's able to keep his, you know, his name out there and, and people feeling good about him. John, I see you writing a note here on your newspaper in front of you. So Yes. So well, what's that about? Oh, my little notes? My, my crib notes? Yeah, yeah. Well... well, well Usually at the end of the podcast, you say, do you have anything to oh, add? Oh, well, I guess so. It's, it looks like we're actually getting close to that time. So, John, do you have anything to add to today's no, podcast? Sorry, Clay, I don't. It looks like, <laughs> Hillary, what is crony? Yeah, that, that is what's written. So, remember earlier in the podcast, <laughs> I was talking about um, the kids watching the debate. And, that, and so, while we were talking, some of their questions came up. To me, uh, so my daughter, the freshman in high school, said to me, "This is you know again unprompted, unsolicited. Boy, they talk about Hillary Clinton a lot." So she thought, uh, watching the Republican debate, that Hillary Clinton was kind of the winner there, is because she heard Hillary Clinton mentioned so often. She was like, "Well, what's up with Hillary Clinton? They're all talking about Hillary Clinton." So you know that disengaged observer kind of thing. Like her takeaway was. 
they're all talking about Hillary Clinton. So the you know, and we were talking just about Martin O'Malley and is he the future of the Democratic Party? I, you know, all the Republicans didn't. They weren't talking about Martin O'Malley during the debate. They weren't talking, barely I, did I hear Bernie Sanders' name. They mentioned Hillary Clinton. So it's really, they are they are clearly shaping up to figure out which one of them is going to face off against Hillary. The other interesting thing that I, that I was asked is, what is crony capitalism? That was a thing, that was a word that was thrown around a lot, or a term, and the, they had no idea what the heck what that was, yeah. I don't know that I even know precisely. I mean, I have to assume it's like, you know, some people from Goldman Sachs going and like running the Treasury Department or something along those lines and cutting deals. I mean, it has it goes back to the bank bailouts, I guess. But that's just my guess. You got to listen to Carly Fiorina more often. She's a, she rattles off the definition of crony capitalism like the best one. Does she? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard her say a lot of things. I don't hear her talk a lot about crony capitalism, actually. She uh, during the last two debates, she she brought it up a lot. That basically, government creates problems and then solves problems, and that's crony capitalism because you're just throwing money at things and you're paying back your buddies. And so she she has gone there, and part of her whole thing is shrinking the size of government. Yes, right. I've heard her talk about that quite a bit. Well, we will look forward to seeing your Day on the Trail feature on Carly Fiorina on Sunday, Megan. So that'll be great. Um, good. John, thank you for coming out today. It was my birthday present to you. Oh, well, and I appreciate it it is. <laughs> and Megan, thank you. Sorry Neil Young couldn't join us. <laughs> he was here in spirit. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast series through iTunes or Stitcher. And for all the latest political news, please go to politics.conqueredmonitor.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.